to begin our sermon, one, uh, one last announcement. We've got a strong showing of little kids here today, and we do have both of our kids' rooms for y'all, so parents, use as needed, right? The service is streamed into the big kids' room. We've got a little quieter kids' room, like potentially if a baby needs a nap. But uh, feel free to make use of the kids' room and also to keep your kids in the main space. we got all the options available, and we are excited for uh, all of our worshipers of every age. So why don't we begin our sermon with prayer? We pray, dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here um, through maybe the inconvenience of the cold and the rain. And uh, we set aside all of the stress and busyness and worries of our life and our week and, and bless us as we, as we sit with you and study your word this morning. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit to, to each and every one of us, no matter how big or how small. Send your Holy Spirit to us to strengthen us in our faith and in our knowledge and understanding of your love for us. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. In 2018, Christina died of cancer. So her funeral was held at the local Catholic church, and my wife Meredith was very close friends with her, and so she went and attended the funeral. And after the funeral, uh, Mayor brought home a brochure to to share with me, like a program from the funeral. Uh, And on the back of it was printed this poem. God saw you getting tired and a cure was not to be. So he put his arms around you and he whispered, Come to me. With tearful eyes we watched you and saw you pass away. Although we loved you dearly, we could not make you stay. A golden heart stopped beating. Hard-working hands at rest. God broke our hearts to prove to us he only takes the best. It's a beautiful poem. I find it really hard to read that poem, you know, without becoming emotional, thinking of losing loved ones. And it's a really beautiful poem, but I want you to imagine something now. Imagine one of Christina's family members who's processing her death. And like after the funeral is over and after everybody goes home, that family member picks up this program and they're reading through the whole thing, just kind of absorbing every word. And at the end, they find this poem and they read it again. How do you think it makes them feel about their own life moving forward, about their own future, about their own relationship with God, especially the last line of it? God broke our hearts to prove to us he only takes the best. It's a beautiful poem, but it's not particularly comforting, is it? In fact, if it were me, I think reading this poem might make me feel some pressure. Like, I'm not going to get to see my loved one again unless I live as good of a life as she lived. might even make me feel some fear. If God only takes the best, and I really think about my life and the things that I think and say and do, if God only takes the best, is he really going to want me? There is a uh, classic song from the 1960s that has a very similar theme. It's been remade a ton of different times. There's a recent remix of it, but I believe the original was by an artist named Wayne Cochran. I don't know who that is. I just want to give him credit. But I think you'll recognize the refrain. The refrain goes like this. Where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. She's gone to heaven, so I got to be good so I can see my baby when I leave this world. Have you heard that song, that refrain? It kind of expresses the same idea doesn't it? And that idea is a fundamental assumption of all human beings that God 
is only going to accept me if I'm good. God only accepts good people. Basic human assumption. Now, these last few weeks, we've been studying the words of Jesus during the Epiphany season. And again and again, we've heard Jesus talk, actually, about many topics, but even talk about his own words. And again and again, what Jesus has said with utmost clarity is that his words are God's words. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus' words are God's words. So with Jesus' words, God's words to guide us, let's dig in deeply and explore what God says about this fundamental assumption that human beings have that God only accepts good people. Let's see what Jesus says about that. Let's see what God says about that. We'll begin with our second reading today. We read those verses from the book of Mark. But it tells us how as Jesus is walking along, he comes by a tax collector's booth where a tax collector named Levi, also known as Matthew, is sitting. And we know about tax collectors. I'm assuming you know a little bit about tax collectors in Jesus' time, that the whole system was so corrupt and broken and fraudulent that there really was no doubt about a tax collector's morals. You wouldn't have chosen the job of being a tax collector for the Romans if you had good morals. It was a job for corrupt people who wanted to make a lot of money off of their own countrymen. There's no doubt about the tax collectors. They were the bad people. And yet as Jesus walks past the tax collector's booth where this bad person named Matthew is sitting, Jesus looks in there and what does he say? Follow me. You follow me. And Matthew follows him. And later on we learn Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house, which is a huge deal in the Mediterranean world to have hospitality and dinner at somebody's house. That's making a statement of trust and connection with that person. Jesus is having dinner at this bad tax collector's house. And in fact, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. It's a little bit scandalous. So when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples about this. Why does he eat with tax collectors, with sinners? And here is Jesus' answer. Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, I have not come for the good people. I've come for the bad people. And Jesus Jesus reinforced this point constantly throughout his ministry. He would turn down the dinner invitations from the cultural elite, the religious elite, the Pharisees, the scribes. And instead, he would over and over spend his time with tax collectors, prostitutes, the foreigners, the unclean, different groups of people who society would have considered sinners. This is who Jesus sought out and spent his time with. And when he did this, he made people mad. And the reason it made people so mad is because Jesus was challenging the fundamental assumption of all human beings that God only accepts good people. That assumption was so universally accepted at Jesus' time that despite his amazing miracles, which clearly backed up his claim to be God, his own people, the Jewish people, their leaders, rejected him. And in fact, they encouraged the rest of the people to reject him as well. 
then Jesus knew what was happening, and it hurt him very deeply. Not because he had super sensitive feelings for himself, but because he knew what was going to happen to his own Jewish people because of their unbelief. So now we move to the chapter of our sermon text, and at the beginning of this chapter, we find Jesus lamenting the state of some of the leading cities in Israel, where even though he had done many, many miracles, the people still refused to repent. And this is his famous section called Seven Woes. So these are just a few of the woes. Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that had been performed in you had been performed in the pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Jesus was doing these amazing miracles that clearly proved to everyone that he had supernatural power, and yet he was being rejected. Not because of his miracles, but because of his teachings. Specifically because of his teaching of repentance and free forgiveness. Even for bad people, no, especially for bad people. And that was offensive because it challenged the fundamental assumption of all human beings that God only accepts good people. So with all of this context, right, Jesus is frustrated by seeing how people who he wants to trust in him are rejecting him, and yet he is seeing the prostitutes and the tax collectors finding grace and finding forgiveness. In this context, now we turn to our sermon text, to Jesus' words from Matthew 11, 25 through 30. Consider this Jesus' commentary on this whole situation. Here's what he says. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. You understand his point? The message of God's salvation, free forgiveness even for bad people, it's so simple that kids can easily understand it. And yet it's so surprising that it offends adults all across the world. Jesus will expound more on that salvation in a minute, but first he gives us a little parenthetical reminder for the third week in a row about what his words are and whose words his words are. Jesus reminds us, you know, I'm not just coming up with this on the spot, he says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. These are God's words. Jesus is God's voice teaching us about these things. And now Jesus circles back to the main point, to that concept that's so simple even a child can understand it, and yet it's so surprising that it is offending adults across the world. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We live in a competitive world, right? It's a world where people seek to distinguish themselves by proving how much they can lift, 
how much they can carry, how much they can accomplish, how much they can do. And in this kind of a world, it's surprising when we hear Jesus telling us to set it all down. We might expect God to give us parameters and to give us rules for stepping up. But instead, Jesus, the voice of God, tells us to set it all down. Stop trying to prove to the world and prove to God how good you are and how strong you are and how capable you are. No, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So what does that look like? Where does that rest come from? Well, quite simply, our spiritual rest comes from understanding that the fundamental assumption of all human beings is wrong. God doesn't accept good people. He only accepts bad people. Like Jesus said at that dinner, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. God doesn't accept good people. He only accepts bad people. Does that sound right? I don't think it does. God doesn't accept good people. He only accepts bad people. We say, wait a minute, how can this possibly be? But the truth of the matter is this. I don't know if I should whisper it because it's a secret. There are no good people. There are only bad people, spiritually. Because by nature, ever since the fall into sin, every last one of us has wanted to be our own God. Every last one of us has been born spiritually into a state of rebellion against God where we reject his authority. We want to make our own rules and including most of all the rule that has become the fundamental human assumption. This is how I want God to operate. I want God to accept me if I can prove that I'm one of the good ones. But it's a lie because there are no good ones, at least not spiritually. As David wrote in Psalm 14, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And yet, God loves us. And he doesn't love what we could potentially become someday. God loves us now. In our brokenness, in our corruption, in our selfishness, in our sin, God loves us right now. And he loves us so much that he sends us a Savior who doesn't discriminate, but pours out his love onto all people with no strings attached. Jesus says, come to me all, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So how can Jesus do that? How can he say that? How can he make our yoke so easy and our burden light? Well, the answer is by making his own very, very heavy. Jesus took the burden of God's expectations. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus took that burden of God's expectations on himself. And Jesus lived a perfect life balancing all those expectations and he did it for us. And Jesus died on the cross while shouldering the heavy weight of all of our sins. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He got crushed for our iniquities. Jesus took the weight off of us 
by putting it on himself. And as a result, our burden, our burden has suddenly become incredibly light. The only thing we need in order to connect with God is to come to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The only thing we need is to come to him, to trust in him, to believe in him, rather than trusting and relying on ourselves. And yet, even that is not something that our sinful heart wants to do, right? Even though the message of the gospel is so simple that a child can understand it, it is still every day offending adults across the world because our sinful nature wants to make it more complicated. It just can't be this easy. It just can't be this free. There must be some conditions. There must be some strings attached. There must be something that I have to do to prove that I'm one of the good ones. But when we say that, we're, we're taking something simple and we're making it harder than it is. We're taking something light and making it heavier than it is. And we don't need to do that. And so Jesus comes to us again and again in his word, and he says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And as Jesus keeps telling that in his word, a miracle happens. God's Holy Spirit enters our hearts and opens up our eyes to this glorious gospel truth. God accepts bad people, fallen people, imperfect people, corrupt people, people like us. God accepts bad people. And then, by his grace, he declares them to be good. And that is a real important piece of this, isn't it? When we repent of our sins and we turn to Jesus, God doesn't heap shame on us and say, well, now you're forgiven, you miserable sinner. No, the way God talks about us is he says, you're not a miserable sinner, not anymore. You're my child now. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You once were lost, but now you've been found. You once were bad, but now God has declared you to be good. And it's over. It's done. The work has been completed, and that is what Jesus means when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it is easy, and it is light. When we stop competing against other people or ourself or God or whatever it is we're doing, when we stop trying to prove with our life how good we are, that we're one of the good ones, and instead we simply rejoice that we've been declared perfect by a perfect Savior, it gives us incredible peace and, and freedom. We're free from the guilt and pressure that we heap upon ourselves every day. We're free from worry and anxiety about what's happening in our life. We're free from fear about where are we going to go when we die. And the reason we're free is Jesus didn't come to load us up with pressure, but to take the pressure away. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The fundamental assumption of all human beings is wrong. God doesn't accept pretend good people. God accepts bad people. And he declares us. He makes us good. About 500 years before Jesus, there lived a man named Siddhartha Gautama. Have you ever heard of him? 
Maybe you will recognize him by his more famous nickname, the Buddha. Right? So this man is responsible for creating one of the world's most popular religions. Today it has more than 400 million adherents uh, in Buddhism. Do you know what his last words were? Loosely translated, his last words were these, strive unceasingly. Right? Keep on working at it. And it makes sense, because this is how human beings approach our relationship with the divine. This is how human beings think. I've got to strive unceasingly. I've got to work hard. I've got to do my part. I've got to do my best. We've got to strive and strive and hope that it's good enough. The last words of Buddha, strive unceasingly. Compare those words to some of the last words of Jesus as he died on the cross. What did Jesus say? It's finished. What a totally different philosophy. What a totally different way of looking at religion. What a totally different worldview. No more striving. No more guilt. No more pressure. No more competing. No more comparing. It's done. It's finished. God has already done everything necessary for our salvation. He has taken us bad people by nature, and he has declared us and made us good. And in the peace of his forgiveness, we can rest. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen. Our worship service.